Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone, and welcome back to the British Royal Fanatic Podcast. I'm Hayden, your American friend with a passion for British Royal history. Hi everyone, we're back after a week. We surprisingly took last week off as I moved, started a new job, and I am closing one chapter of my life with graduate school and starting a new one and seeing where this path will take me, but the podcast is here, the podcast is here to stay, and other content creation. Yes, the YouTube channel and video content is delayed right now. I am sorry about that, but it's coming. Everything is on its way. But I want to take a moment to say thank you to all of you for understanding, for your kind words, and letting me get through this transition. So now we can pick back up right where we left off and continue discussing what's going on in the royal family and other royal history. As we continue to follow the Duke of York's civil trial now, we do have some updates. Of course, as previously stated last podcast, now that the case is officially going to civil trial, they are now in what's called discovery, where they're, both sides are gathering evidence, sharing things with the other side, reviewing documents, interviewing people, and getting everything they can in order to then go before and actually go through the judicial process there are a few updates that that have come out some little light fluff pieces from the tabloid press but some that are actually pretty big that could change things the biggest update that i've been seeing the past few days is this again this talk of a settlement are they going to take a settlement is a settlement somewhere in the future and apparently it's now back on the table because more trusted sources are now beginning to discuss this um, about four or five days ago on Twitter, journalist Jay Beecher released a series of tweets with evidence and articles defending his reporting, showing that Guffrey is now willing to accept a settlement, hear discussions about a settlement, and that side is now warming up to the idea. We know that Prince Andrew's team has tossed around the idea of a settlement a few times, but it was always no, 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 no from Guffrey's team. Well, now... Things are changing, and possibly now they are taking a settlement. 
the running theme of this is that she doesn't want to go to trial anymore because the inconsistencies in her story will be brought to light and she might not actually win. And this comes after Beecher, again, showing evidence for all of this where inconsistencies in her story, previous interviews that she's done, and pointing and just laying the evidence of there's some inconsistencies here. And the biggest one that is really damning in some regard is that in a 2011 report and an interview came out where Guffrey said that she actually never had sex with Prince Andrew and that all she was asked to do was sit on his lap while he fondled another woman's breast. And in this series of tweets, both the first one and the second one with cited sources and everything about it, um, the biggest thing is again it just outlines this there's these inconsistencies where she says one thing but now we have this contrary evidence and the biggest things that we see are the details of events how things were laid out her actual age at the time people she named that have been coming out saying they don't really know her and some other people in the general public excluding beecher are saying that possibly maybe her husband is asking for a settlement and pressuring her to accept the settlement just again to just make this all go away make this all go away we don't necessarily know what the truth truly is there but the discussion of settlement is now gaining traction and who knows if she'll actually accept it who knows what will happen there um we do know that guffrey's lawyer david boys is getting ready to spend two days in London questioning Prince Andrew as, you know, both sides are preparing. Boyce told the Mail on Sunday that Prince Andrew could, quote, be a little uncomfortable with the two-day interview process, and a date has not formally been set on the interviews. But Boyce plans to not question the Duchess of York, the two princesses, or Her Majesty the Queen. It is just Prince Andrew that he's interviewing at this time. Prince Andrew's team has filed a report denying all 41 claims that Guffrey's team has made against him, saying that there's lack of sufficient information to both deny or accept anything. There's just not enough evidence to really go forward. He's also saying that uh, Ghislaine Maxwell was not a close friend, as previously stated, and this whole report is just essentially doing one thing. There's nothing here. There's lack of information. This shouldn't be happening which is a running theme that we have seen quite often. There's also been a series of fluff pieces, which just, I say fluff being that it's all just head headlines, where the uh, Prince Andrew is now willing and ready to go to court and he wants a full trial. You know, if we're going to go there, we're going to do the whole thing and we're going to do it right. And that's the running headlines that we've seen quite a few times. In the last minor thing that again made a little blip on the news radar these past two weeks is that prince andrew is now in a place where he could possibly lose his 24-hour security formal reports have yet to come out at the time of recording where stating whether if he did lose his security or not but he's no longer a working royal his patronages have been returned to the crown he doesn't have his military titles he can't use his hrh anymore so now the ball is being put in motion about losing his security. Who knows if it will actually happen, but you know, much like Prince Harry, no longer a working royal, doesn't have his military titles, doesn't have his HRH. There's a little bit of pressure for equal treatment here among non-working royals where, okay, if one person gets it like this severe, we need to be consistent across the board. As we wrap up the Duke of York update, in my opinion of all of this, if a settlement is reached and this 
case does not go to trial, there will be large public outrage, and it may actually damage more of the monarchy and the queen than what people think. And why do I say that? The public has already resigned to the fact that Prince Andrew is guilty in some way, shape, or form. The general public wants him to go to trial. They want him to face the consequences of his actions. And they want him to go through the judicial process and they want justice to be served. If a settlement is reached, yes, one of the terms of the settlement is he's guilty in some way, shape, or form, but that won't, no, he's not going to jail. He's not facing any formal repercussions. And that could actually be more damaging than going to court, in my opinion, because of the public outrage. So we need to let the judicial system do its thing, trust the process, but that is the Duke of York update right now. There's still, there's not a lot of big advances in the story yet, just the regular judicial process happening, but there's talks of settlement happening again. Who knows if it will actually take place? Another just lighter news before we get into the main story for today, the big topic on everybody's mind is royal patronages are now being redistributed. These are royal patronages that were once held by the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, but also the Duke of York as well. They are being re finally redistributed amongst other royals. Now, this are, these are just public announcements. Who knows how long they've actually held these new royal patronages, but other royals are beginning to get them, specifically the Duchess of Cornwall and the Duchess of Cambridge, but also the Duchess of Gloucester got one. The Duchess of Cornwall has taken over the National Theatre patronage, which was held by the Duchess of Sussex. And that one, many people thought it was actually going to go to Prince A to Prince Edward, excuse me. They thought they were, it was going to go to uh, the Earl of Wessex, but no, it ended up going to the Duchess of Cornwall. The Duchess of Cambridge has taken over two uh, patronages, the Rugby Football League and the Rugby Football Union, and actually at the time of recording, the day previous, the Duchess of Cambridge you know, did her first outing with these rugby patronages, and it went over very, very well, and people are very excited to see what she'll do. And the Duchess of Gloucester has taken over the Cathedral Music patronage, and who knows what other royals have taken over other patronages from the Duke and Duchess of Sussex and the Duke of York, but they're finally being redistributed. From what I've seen, they're mainly going to either Catherine or Camilla, and it makes sense as the writing is on the wall of their future roles, and so now they're taking on more work to begin to fulfill those expectations. In other news that actually could develop into something serious in a good way, in my opinion. Prince Charles and Prince Harry look to be finding a new path as father and son and look like they're beginning to repair their relationship, whatever it may be. Charles has offered to use Clarence House for Harry and Meghan, so they've invited, Charles has invited Harry and Meghan over to Clarence House to stay with them, to use their security when they come over to London whenever they so see, and to keep them safe. This comes, of course, after the large issues over Prince Harry's security and large discussions about security. And it looks as if Charles is, you know, lending an olive branch of, hey, you can stay with me. You can use my security and, you know, giving an olive branch to see if they'll come across and actually accept it. There's no word about whether that plan is actually going forward at the time of recording. But this invitation has been made. And again, it's, it's looking like things are beginning to cool off and become amicable again regarding Prince Charles and Prince Harry, father and son. 
And lastly, that made big splashes is Harry and Meghan got into hot water over their podcast, been finding issues with Spotify. The, some of the stories they didn't put out another podcast after they signed a contract. And it's been a year since they put out any content and Spotify intervened and said, nope, we're going to look into this. We're going to start taking more creative control over this. And then all the scandals happened with Joe Rogan and people pulling stuff off of Spotify. And Prince Harry and Meghan essentially made a stance going, in a nutshell, they stand with not spreading misinformation, but we're going to continue to work and try to find something with Spotify. So they haven't really said if they're not going to do anything or, or they are going to do anything. And it's again reported that they are not willing to return the millions Spotify gave them in their podcast deal. So everybody is up in their feelings about this Prince Harry and Meghan Spotify deal and all of this. And I'm just here to report that it's it made news. <laughs> it made news and something. But there we have it, our Duke of York update and some lighter news stories that made the rounds these past few weeks. But what are we here to talk about today? Well, this episode on the 4th, when it is released, is on the eve of Ascension Day, which officially marks the beginning of the Jubilee. We've covered what's going to be happening at the Platinum Jubilee, big events that are happening specifically in the UK, what things are going to be looking like possibly across the, the Commonwealth, but they're still making up their minds of what's going to happen there. But today, we are specifically talking about Ascension Day. February 6th is the official day of ascension for her majesty the queen and while it kicks off the official celebrations for the jubilee it's a little bit sadder of a day when you really think about it the queen has arrived at the sandringham house estate to mark ascension day but she's not at sandringham house she's actually at wood farm this was the main home for the duke of edinburgh when he retired from official work in 2017 while she has visited Wood Farm most recently this past November, this is where she will be spending Ascension Day as she had said that she wanted to do. Quietly, at home, somewhere private, and with her family to quietly and peacefully reflect on this day, of course marking 70 years on the throne. However, while it is joyous to think about an Ascension Day, this day also marks the death of His Majesty King George VI back in 1952, which is what we're going to be talking about today, but also what is Ascension Day? What does it mean to celebrate an Ascension Day? The concept of Ascension Day is something that has happened eons ago, and it is something that is still celebrated in monarchies across the world. Ascension Day formally marks the day when the monarch assumed the throne. It is different from the coronation when it quote-unquote becomes official and there's the pomp and circumstance, the ceremony, the whatever the religious ceremony is, or if they're government officials making them read off an oath. That is very different from an ascension day where one of the big pillars of a monarchy is it's this you know blood movement and the moment there's always a sovereign no matter what there's never a moment where there isn't a sovereign so when one dies someone immediately takes the place of the of the former sovereign and that is what ascension day marks when that moment happened the first recorded ascension day goes all the way back to the reign of emperor kanmu of japan who reigned from seven 81 to 806 so that is the first recorded ascension day celebrations 
the custom of Ascension Day began in England during the reign of Queen Elizabeth I. Her Ascension Day was celebrated in England and Wales during her reign, and also, according to a 19th century historian, Thomas Lathbury, during the reigns of her successors. So Queen Elizabeth I's Ascension Day was celebrated for quite some time. It had, quote, a form of prayer and thanksgiving, which was used in churches to mark the anniversary of Queen Elizabeth I's Ascension that was uh, first published in 1576 and was then used all the way to 1602. So this prayer and thanksgiving, this, this, her ascension was celebrated for quite some time. Regarding Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II's ascension, of course, we've been celebrating it or recognizing it for you know, 70 years at this point, but we've seen what has happened behind the scenes on season one of the so we've talked about the crown quite frequently as we've reviewed it and the first two episodes of season one really capture the ascension and what it truly looked like possibly and what it would have truly had an emotional impact on the queen and we see that we see the dramatization of it captured in peter morgan's vision he of course was the formal heir to the throne and he had all that training and grooming to eventually become sovereign, where Prince Albert, the Duke of York, later King George VI, was the spare. He was never supposed to really assume the throne because his brother, the Prince of Wales, was doing such a good job of being the heir apparent, where he was the heir presumptive. When the king was the Duke of York, he loved country life, just being out of the spotlight, doing what engagements that he needed to do. And when he married... Lady Elizabeth Bowes Lyon, and they were the Duke and Duchess of York together. They had their two children, and they were perfectly content being in this country life, out of the spotlight, and doing what royal work was expected of them, but they had fully resigned themselves to just living out this quiet country life. Well, then things changed, and when the abdication was on the wall and things began to go sour with Edward VIII's reign, and they then had to assume more duties and actually begin to take on larger roles even during the reign of Edward VIII. You can read more about that in The Little Princesses by Marion Crawford. You know, things, it began to take a toll on his health and the abdication where Edward VIII left and completely abandoned the throne to Mary Wallace Simpson. It really changed things and he didn't want to become king he wasn't prepared for it it wasn't a life that he really wanted and so it really took a toll on his health both physical and mental health because he wasn't prepared he didn't have any grooming or training and he was thrown into it and had to learn on the fly which is why he spent so much time making sure that even when she was a princess uh the queen the current queen she had enough training so she would be prepared and so she understood the role. But the moment he assumed the throne in 1936, the role of king and sovereign began to take a toll on his health almost immediately. This combined with World War II, it really began to shake the king. The tensions of World War II with the dissolve of the empire and formation of the commonwealth, the beginnings of the Cold War, and all of the turmoil in a post-World War II Britain really took its toll on the king. He, of course, enjoyed his hobby of heavy smoking 
And all of this combined really began to wear and tear and show on the king. In fact, in her book, The Little Princesses by Marion Crawford, who was the former nanny to the royal family, she stated a few times that during the wartime, you could really see the king's face change. His body language changed. His, he lost weight. He kept losing weight. He was smoking more. He had a really bad temper. You, the effects of the war really began to wear on him. And so now the queen mother and the now queen really began to try to step in to ease the king. Of course, all of this stress of work, war, and his lovely hobby of heavy smoking finally began to catch up with him. The king developed lung cancer and other ailments such as osteochorosis and Ruger's disease. A planned tour of Australia and New Zealand was actually postponed in 1949 after he suffered an arterial blockage in his right leg. This arterial blockage threatened actually the loss of his right leg and he was treated, but the tour in 1949 had to be delayed. The king eventually recovered enough to attend the Festival of Britain in May of 1951, but almost immediately after, on June 4th, it was announced that the king would need immediate and complete rest for the next four weeks. So we're beginning this running theme of things look fine and then his health bottoms out. Things look fine and his health bottoms out. On September 23rd, 1951, the king had a... a had a surgery to remove his left lung for, quote, structural abnormalities, when in reality, there was a malignant tumor in his lung. And his health was precarious enough that his Christmas speech of 1951 had to be recorded in pieces and then edited together to be this seamless speech. But they had to record it throughout the pro um, a long process because he couldn't do it at times. All the while, the king's health is doing this up and down, up and down, up and down. Princess Elizabeth, who is now officially recognized as the heir presumptive, she, she was never the heir apparent. She was beginning to take on more royal duties as the king's health was in this really touch-and-go state. The delayed tours were reorganized for not only Princess Elizabeth, but Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, and they were be actually beginning to take the place of the king and queen. They went on the rescheduled tour of Canada in October of 1951, which was a month long. And that was actually delayed by a week because of the king's health. The massive tour of the Australia-New Zealand part of the Commonwealth was rescheduled from 1949 to 1952. And that, of course, was where Princess Elizabeth and the Duke of Edinburgh really stepped in and were going to take on this multi-month-long tour. However, things would not go according to plan. On January 31st, 1952, that was the last day Princess Elizabeth would ever see her father alive, not knowing that when she returned home, she would be the queen. Despite advice from those close to him, the king went to the London airport to see Elizabeth and Philip off on their tour to Australia and that part of the Commonwealth, but first stopping in Kenya. This was his last public appearance. Six days later, at 7.30 in the morning on February 6th, the king was found dead in his bed at Sandringham. He had died in his sleep from coronary thrombosis at the age of 56. When 
the now queen found out about the death of her father, the tour had just started and they, the, the news of the king's death immediately pulled the emergency brake on the tour. And of course, the now queen and consort had to go back home. One thing that people forget, which is covered at length in the official biography by Sally Bettle Smith, is that Elizabeth and Philip had plans to return to Malta after this tour. The running news within the family was that the king's health was almost officially bounced back after his surgery, but he couldn't go on this arduous month-long tour. But by the time they came back, the king would be in good enough of a place to where they could return back to their lives in Malta and in Greece and that part of the world, and the king could take on more duties again. But in reality, that was really far from the truth. Yeah, Sally really covers well how much the queen loved this time in her life because she was just a simple military wife, mother of two children. It was a happy married life. Philip could do what he wanted, but that got cut short. Their lives changed, their duties changed, and she ascended to the throne very unexpectedly and completely changing the course of history. The now queen and the Duke of Edinburgh flew back to London and landed on February 7th, 1952. One thing that was very true was that the queen not anticipating the death of her father, didn't have morning clothes with her. Her team, her royal staff, didn't think to pack anything, so they didn't. So when the plane landed, people had to go up into the plane, other royal staff members, dress her in her royal mourning, and then she came out and greeted her public and her subjects as queen. Shortly after this moment, the queen changed royal protocol, and now no matter what... If a royal is to go abroad, they are to always have mourning clothes on standby because you never know when a royal might die. The queen was just 26 when she ascended to the throne and her father died. The king was laid to rest in the royal vault of St. George's Chapel at Windsor Castle on February 9th, 1952. While it's wonderful to think about this concept of Ascension Day, this wonderful thing of Ascension Day, you need to think about that this day also marks the death of a formal, former king, and it sort of brings back this trauma of this unexpected death, caught everybody in the royal family off guard. They thought the king was going to bounce back and be fine, but he didn't. He couldn't recover from that lung surgery, and it just was a slow deterioration down. While it's joyous to think about the beginning of the Jubilee now, and this Ascension Day, and these joy celebrations, 70 years on the throne. It's a big milestone. Don't want to take away from that. But we should take a moment to reflect that this moment back in 1952 was anything but joyous. It was actually very heartbreaking and very sad. It marked the death of a king, but the start of a new Elizabethan era that we are still in to this day. But there we have it, everyone. A true understanding of what is Ascension Day and what this Ascension Day truly looked like back in 1952. My sources for today's podcast are page6.com, The Daily Mail, The Sun, The Mirror, royalcentral.co.uk, the Royal Family's official website, and Wikipedia. If you made it this far, thank you for stopping by the podcast today. 
If you would like to recommend topics for future episodes or let me know how I'm doing to improve the show, drop me a line over at BritishRoyalFanPod at gmail.com. Any and all suggestions are welcome, and I'm excited to read them. If you want to stay up to date on the podcast and events happening within the royal family, head over to either the official Twitter or the official Facebook page. I do my best to stay up to date on everything going so I can inform all of you. If you feel so inclined and would like to donate to support the podcast, you can do so either on the Anchor homepage or on the official PayPal link on the Twitter homepage. Any and all donations are welcome, and I'm truly appreciative of everything that you can do. Head on over to wherever you're listening to rate, review, subscribe, and share. The more you do that, the better I can make the show, and the more the family can grow, and who knows what opportunities can come. Have a great day, everyone. Stay safe and stay healthy, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.